Marking its 40th anniversary in 2022, Blue Door is the largest emergency housing provider in York Region, providing life-saving support to children, youth, adults, seniors, and families at risk or experiencing homelessness. Along with offering emergency housing and housing retention support, in the past two years, Blue Door has expanded its service offering to further work toward preventing and ending homelessness through inclusion, the first supportive housing program for two SLGBTQ plus youth in York Region. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, providing supported skills training to help youth and adults break barriers to employment and secure meaningful careers in construction trades and launching in 2022 a health hub which will include a nurse and in-reach system navigator to help people regain the health and well-being needed to secure and retain permanent housing. Join Blue Door's mission and become part of the solution by learning more at bluedoor.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. This is a podcast brought to you by the good folks at Blue Door and our friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. We bring you this podcast in partnership. What is happening at Blue Door right now? Lots going on. In fact, it will tie into the guests we have today. Uh, something we've learned at Blue Door over the last while, even more so coming out of the pandemic, is we are in desperate need of long-term affordable support of housing solutions. So we're constantly, we are now looking at developing social purpose real estate options for our clients. We've begun that a little bit. It's a huge learning curve. We're learning, we learn from others, such as our guests today. So we continue to push that forward at Blue Door. We are celebrating our 40th anniversary. By the time this podcast drops, it may have already passed, but that is on uh, August 27th. If you're in the town of Aurora, uh, in York region, you want to come out and celebrate. It's for four to eight uh, in the local park there in Aurora. Come check it out. And our friends at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness, by the time this airs, you will miss the early bird discount for the largest North American uh, conference on housing and homelessness. This year being held in Toronto, the first time in person in a couple of years. But you could do it in person or virtual, wherever your comfort or for affordability lies there too, right? Because you could do it from the comfort of your home and not have to fly across the country. Uh, lots of great speakers, lots of great things happening. Even if you miss the early bird deadline, it's well worth it. Um, the, it only happens once a year. You get the best of the brightest from across the country, around the world, coming up to this conference. Some great keynote speakers as well. So very cool. And of course, they're always working with their Built for Zero team. If you want to become, if your community wants to become a Built for Zero community, and you wonder what is that even, how do we, how do we start that? Just look at caeh.ca, check that out, uh, become a Built for Zero community and help 
to prevent and end homelessness. That's happening at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Now, I talked a little bit about social purpose real estate or Blue Door wanting to get into that to try and develop more long-term affordable housing solutions. And that brings us to our guest today, uh, myself and my colleague, Emmy Kelly. We're talking with, uh, with Eric, our guest, a couple of weeks back. And I said, you got to come on the podcast and, and chat about this because he's doing tremendous work in the city of Toronto with his organization, Dixon Hall. Let me tell you just quickly about Eric. He's actively been working within the supportive housing community for over 10 years. And for the last five, being in support of Dixon Hall as the Director of Real Estate and Property Management. Makes sense considering the, to what the topic today and its dedication to those at risk within the downtown East community. And he's doing an awesome job. You're going to see that today uh, in our conversation, just some of the cool stuff that he's doing. Um, Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, we asked the same question to all our guests that come on, and it's a little different for everyone. Um, so I'm going to ask you, what does home mean to you? It's a good question. And definitely being in the sector, like, has really affected my opinion of what housing is. I think, if anything, now I notice more the absence of housing or, like, the absence of effective housing, especially in the city of Toronto where there's such a, like a huge gap between, you know, people obviously don't have houses and those who have owned houses for a long time. And it's, like, it's funny how much working like with Dixon Hall has really, you know, impacted the way I view the world now, and, you know, for the better, for sure. And I remember when I first started, we, we had a referral agreement with a, with a housing provider to house about 50 people. And we housed one gentleman who had been living outside for about 13 years which is which is incredible for someone to do that and him moving into a house for the first time like you don't think about the things that a house can provide until you you have a conversation with someone like that who who can now have their kids over for the first time you know in maybe a decade to see where they're living or their friends to watch a hockey game and like and yes housing is supportive and you know you have that security that anchors you in terms of your ability to like have a home and, and a place to come back to every day. Um, but there's other elements as well that housing provides that really like humanize us and allow us to like reintegrate in society and become social again. Um, and that's really affected the way I view housing now. And a lot of the work we do is trying to, you know, trying to give as much of that back to the community that needs it. I love when you talk about humanizing it and humanizing housing. Uh, here's what's not talked about usually when I ask this question or four walls and a roof, right? It's not the structure. It's all of what that structure kind of represents and can do to help move your life forward. Uh, as you're saying, having, and we often use that as a, when people come into the emergency housing uh, part at Blue Door, we'll say, when you get your own place, who's the first person you'd love to have over for a coffee, right? So they can start to imagine, think about right. that, because that has a bit of possibility, right? For so many people. Yeah, we like, you know, we tend to lean towards data and structure and, you know, and numbers so often. And I like, I like doing that too. That's a part of my job. Um, but you forget like the individual stories and the impact and like, it's important to, to remain focused on, on the individual, um, and the work we do so we don't get lost in, you know, a number of units built and, you know, and the other kind of check boxes that we go for. So, you know, you have to, you have to go down both roads, which is which is great absolutely and, and well said uh you mentioned dixon hall amazing organization been around a long time 
Uh, for those who may not know it, can you tell us a little bit about Dixon Hall? What does it do? Uh, what are some of the programs? Uh, what's its purpose? Yeah, we've been around for almost 100 years in the, in the city, mainly downtown east. Uh, Dixon Hall is a multidisciplinary organization, so we do a lot of things. Uh, we do music support for youth. We do youth uh, at-risk youth, <laughs> at youth programming. We do a lot of housing support. We do employment support, and we support seniors. Um, so being multidisciplinary, Dixon Hall, you know, is challenged because we do a lot of things, you know, really well, but there's also opportunities in that we can provide different levels of support for clients. So we can house seniors, we can provide different levels of social support, we can integrate employment into what we can do, we can focus on youth housing. Um, so there's opportunities there as well. It is an amazing organization. Like I'm very lucky to be working there. Yeah, and it is, and all the stuff you're talking about too, I think as we start this work, and I know that's how it's been for Pluto and many others, all these overlapping pieces. Well, you know what would really help me uh, continue on with this housing if I had really good employment. Hey, we should do that. Or if I had access to healthcare. Or you know what, a large part of being part of this community or you know, music is far more than just picking up an instrument or singing, how it connects us all together, right? So those overlapping pieces. But I think that also, I mean, while you do many things in the housing end of things uh, that are very cool at Dixon Hall, I love the fact that you have a, you have a music piece incorporated in there too. Is We definitely can't say that at Blue Door or many others. Um, so that's uh, very unique to Dixon Hall. Yeah, it's great. And like, like I said, it does present challenges because you just are working in a lot of different areas at once. But again, like the opportunities to maintain client support, to make sure like that person has food support, has employment, um, and really cross over uh, is, is excellent. And if not, you know, there's lots of great organizations that work through partnerships uh, to do the same type of work. So you just, you just develop different strategies for different types of organizations. But the collaboration that is happening right now in my sector is phenomenal. Like, and it's different now than it was five, six years ago. We're really seeing you know, strategic initiatives where, where groups are coming together to support, you know, the same client base, which is amazing. Well, I, I think partly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, this is my only my opinion, and, and most of my opinions are not on, on base, but I think that, like, a lot of the collaborations, because <laughs> we have to, let's face it, man, like, we're, we're in a crisis, and we can't be everything to everyone, and we're, we are stronger together. So, hey, Dixon Hall, you take this piece, we've got this piece, and others, if we do that, we're going to cover a lot more ground. Do you agree? Yeah, and I think like the amount of funding that's coming to the sector is helpful too, where you know, we're not cannibalizing each other all the time. And I think there's just a realization that if another organization is done, doing something better for that client base and that's their background, that you want to let them do that work. You don't want to try to reinvent the wheel if somebody else is already you know, doing that work effectively. So you develop partnerships. Um, it is a, like, it's a great place to work in, in this environment in terms of the amount of support we're receiving from other organizations and just seeing opportunities to communicate that, that are there that weren't there before. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Uh, now, we've talked a little bit of this, uh, a little bit about this offline, but, you know, there'll always be a need for some emergency housing, some, right? But the push forward, when you hear housing experts talk, they're not, hey, let's Let's develop thousands and thousands of more emergency spaces. The focus is more on support of affordable, longer term uh, housing um, and with supports, of course. Can you talk a little bit about this and, and why Dixon Hall, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not assuming this, but is pushing kind of forward with this is where we want to go in the future. And this is more of our drive. Yeah, it's really like there's a lot of history there that have kind of led us to where we are now. Like I won't get into it, but 
the move to push away from a predominantly shelter system to into supportive housing um, was fast tracked like through the pandemic because now you suddenly have this like a lot more pressure put on the shelter system that was also financially very challenging to run when you have shelters that are you know half capacity and now suddenly cost significantly more and it, like a lot of people don't don't see the the economics of transitioning people into housing. Um, but it's far less expensive to have someone be in a home, that even a supportive home, than it is a shelter. So, like the finances and the and the pandemic really helped moves in that direction. And then we see kind of this immediate reactive push to try to get as many people housed as possible. Um, and like that's a challenge. It's tough to fix a problem that's been around, you know, for a very long time in a short period. And I think we're seeing the pressure that's been put on the sector, but also we're seeing the rewards of you know moving people into long-term supportive housing, double down on investing in communities, and really seeing like that community growth. Um, we're seeing, I think, like a, like a decrease in NIMBYism in terms of communities looking to work more collaboratively with you know organizations like Dixon Hall to develop housing, and we're also seeing you know like a decrease on the strain of the shelter system, which is really important. The shelter system is a temporary you know, emergency response. Like you said, it's not a long-term solution for people at risk and people who have lived in the shelter system for you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Like it's just a terrible, you know, it's just a terrible way for our society to look at an entire population. And we have the resources, we just need to continue to invest in our communities and work to work on that client flow through, right? Getting clients into the shelter system and then moving them out into stable housing as quickly as possible. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah, and I remember uh, Marianne Bedard, who's retired now, but I remember her saying, look, what people don't understand is that 80% of the people that come through the Toronto shelter system, it's one, it's one stay, it's short stay, and they're moved, they're either uh, able to stabilize in housing that they have before, they're moved into housing, it's the 20%, that, that kind of chronic, it's a lot, lot tougher, right? The acuity is, is a lot higher. I think as society too, or it's just odd, we always look for, you know, people say, well, what's the solution? And there is not a solution. When someone comes into, and I think that's that was the problem a little bit with emergency, was we're using one kind of type of housing for everyone. So I might not need emergency housing, but I might be $200 short on rent so I could keep my housing. I might be able to stay with another family member if that was suggested and someone helped me through that process. I might be able to find an apartment if someone helped me find that apartment without ever having to go into the shelter system. So you have people in the shelter system who might not need 24-7 care, but they're there because, as you were saying, like the options just weren't there, right? Yeah, I think, I think we do look at a lot of affordable housing. We're looking at that one like section of the population that is deeply, deeply, deeply at risk when we think about homelessness. Uh, especially the visible population in Toronto with, with like high levels of you know, mental illness and addictions, which is true. But there's also a significant number of people who are at risk in the city of Toronto who, who are just much less visible, uh, who need support. And, and to your point, you know, affordable housing 
you know, that spectrum is, is significant. So it goes all the way up until people who have a job and, you know, just need help making rent. And the way I look at supportive housing is, like, I don't love to see huge amounts of deeply affordable housing development, like, clustered in one area. Like, I'm a big supporter of, like, multidisciplinary, uh, multi-income level housing. So you kind of lift everyone up at the same time and, you know, you know add that level of community versus you know, housing a ton of people with high level support, which I think like can be effective, but it's also very stressful on the community when you put a ton of at-risk people and, level, and social support in one area. Like I'd like to see our system spread out and really supporting all of those who need help from a housing perspective um, and working at that slowly versus like, you know, trying to fix a problem overnight that may take more time um, than we want. Yeah, and I, and I think you mean the data supports that, right? If we look at what you're talking about too, I believe is the old school method when we would take, you know, uh, somebody to build a 600 room, you know, and, and put it in one spot or the old Regent Park. And now you're saying, okay, to your, let's do some mixed income. Let's spread it through. And that's just out. It's just a better community. It's easier for around NIMBYism, but it just makes sense. You lift each other up. Absolutely. And I think we learn uh, so much from doing things that didn't work. And as we plan, the planners are getting that as well. Um, so let's talk about a little bit of that work because Dixon Hall is doing, and yourself, you're leading that work. Um, so more and more, we're hearing about social purpose real estate uh, as a big piece of the solution. And we've kind of touched on that. Uh, in your role, it's a large part of what you do. Uh, can you share with our listeners really what what is social purpose real estate? Why is it important? Yeah, it's kind of like a big basket, social purpose real estate. It's amazing. I didn't know that this was my profession until it kind of became popular. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I do. I do social purpose real estate. Um, and when we, when we talk about that transition of people from the shelter system into, into affordable housing, like that support component is kind of what's missing, right? You can't just move someone who's believing the shelter for an extended period of time, put them in a home, and then, and then you know wash your hands and walk away. That person will not be successful. So you need to maintain that level of support, that touch base, that programming. Um, and as we build affordable housing, as we build community buildings, uh, we do so with the intent to support this transition from shelters to housing. So you have programming within buildings, you have the opportunity for food support, you have this network, this community where people feel connected and not isolated because there's a big risk of putting someone in that home and now they feel isolated, they're alone, they've lost their community that they had within a shelter and they can you know, feel abandoned, and then what do they do? They go back to using, or they go back to having mental illness troubles. So social purpose real estate is really facilitating that transition and making sure the community support is there for clients at risk, and other members of the community as well. You know, it's like, it's health supports, it's food supports, employment support, um, and we're doing that work, to your point. Right now, when we develop housing, when we design housing, we don't just do it, you know, I'm gonna build a box with a house. We look at common area space. We look at opportunities for, you know, for people to work together um, and get those resources within the building they're living, which is which is fascinating. Like it's a really exciting field to work in. Yeah, and let's talk about some of the things you have going on right now. I know you have a project happening in Cabbage Town, and as well, you're working on a community hub in Corktown. What can you tell us about these uh, projects? How do they come about, um, and what's the makeup of? Sure. So the the project in Cabbage Town, right now I'm restoring, I believe, nine um, historical houses in Cabbage Town uh, for people at risk to be in. Those are happening because Toronto Community Housing is shifting some of the ownership of its buildings to not-for-profits for a more uh, localized support, uh, which makes sense 
Dixon Hall has been working in the downtown East community for a long time, so we have the ability and the resources to manage those houses and work with those clients effectively. That's a good decision. Um, and those houses are really, like, are really interesting because you take them as old um, and had a totally different purpose before, and now you're putting a bunch of people inside, six, seven clients, and you have to find a way to to do that construction while also facilitating support that they need. So we have a common area kitchen in the ground floor. So clients can come down, they can socialize, they can integrate, you know, they can receive programming support, food support, um, talk to their caseworker, or then go up and then just be in their home. And that's like a really nice transition place from a shelter because, you know, you, you, you have that kind of intermediate housing. When you talked about before about not having, you know, one solution to housing, Rooming houses, you know, you, you don't want to have rooming houses everywhere in the city, but there's definitely a place in the housing continuum for rooming housing to be for those clients who also, you know, are not ready maybe to just be, you know, lost in a condominium somewhere. They need that transitional point. So so that work will be happening over the next probably three or four years, and Dixon Hall hopefully will take ownership of about 22 of the rooming houses in Cabbage Town. And then we maintain a project called the Rooming House Project, which is this really good supportive network in Town that also helps bridge conflict within the community. So if, if there's you know concerns about a resident or there's problems, Dixon Hall can act as that that voice um, for the at-risk population um, and really like relieve stress on the community and also you know facilitate some some effective change within that area. So that's that's a really exciting project. I'm enjoying it. Um, and then the second area project that you mentioned is a community hub in Courttown, which was our old head office. And so as we as we shift into housing, as we develop these buildings. Um, SUMAC will really be like this kind of hub for clients to receive the resources and support we need. So we're doing housing, employment, and settlement support there um, with a big commercial kitchen in the middle. So we'll be doing a lot of food support there. So, you know, to, to what we said earlier when we talked about social purpose real estate is that you can't just, you know, build a home and expect everything to get better. You need to build those community buildings as well where people can come and get resources, get support, ask questions if they need to. Um, and kind of be that, you know, that home where if you're struggling, you have a place to go and you can talk to somebody or get a meal or, you know, learn about, you know, training opportunities, um, and which would be 58, which is, which is also going to be a great project. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think again, you, you know, it's not, you can put people into housing, but what you also want to be doing with housing and you've talked about this in both projects with either, whether it's a kitchen that is communal and everyone's coming down to, or it's a community hub is creating community. So. I feel like I'm actually part of this community because if you don't, it, that housing might not stick, right? Um, so you're, you're doing a great job of that. Very, very exciting. Um, there are some there's some cool innovations, and, and you and I could talk about this all day, but there's some cool innovations going on. We, If, if you pick up a, well, no one picks up a paper anymore. If you're, you're looking online, you're reading the news, it's just like a barrage <laughs> of bad news, you know, shelter. Uh, you know, there's there's not enough spots. Um, rent's going up 15%. This is just Friday that all this came out, all this stuff. But there's some good stuff happening too to keep optimism up. Can you talk about some of those cool innovations on how we're going to do social purpose real estate in the future and uh, things to look forward to? Yeah, I think social purpose real estate has really become symbolic of kind of what your point is, hopes for what the future of community building looks like. I think we're moving away from this concept. You know, I, I like to say that we don't look at a project just lot line to lot line, right? We just don't sit down and say, okay, we're gonna design and construct a building, you know, hire an architect and then go. You, you really look at the impact on the community overall and what you're doing and, you know, its impact on the residents and the businesses and what social supports exist right now. 
in that area. And you kind of look at, at construction that way, which is fascinating. And I love social purpose real estate because it really facilitates partnerships as well. I love partnerships. And I think when you create these buildings and when you look at real estate from the perspective of providing a service to the community, you probably the opportunity for voices to be heard, uh, for communication between different groups, um, and the voice for the at-risk community as well to have and you know, to be heard. Um, and just this opportunity for people to get out of their homes and engage together and, and like sure there's environmental you know, design that's effective, there's accessibility components, there's really exciting design concepts that are, that are great. But for me, it's what happens in the buildings in the future that really is the most exciting. And I think as we continue down this path, which we're really just starting, you know, in terms of, of, of um, you know, eradicating homelessness, I think social purpose real estate will be the place where those conversations happen and that exciting work occurs where we do the planning and the discussions and, you know, the engagement, which I love. And I think that's, like that's a really exciting part of the world. It's very exciting. And I think if we look to examples around the world, Finland has now said we have ended homelessness, but that was largely done through social purpose real estate, like all sorts of different kinds. And it, that's what people say, well, how did they do it? Well, this is, it was a 20, 25 year plan where they continued to build different types of housing, as you spoke about, that had community pieces and it mattered what was inside and how they were organized and how they were involved in community. Um, it was carefully planned. They made mistakes along the way. They corrected, you know, those mistakes and they, with every building built and they have a variety of different options, right? And they've got to that point. It's a good model of, hey, social purpose real estate can and will work. They went from 652 shelter spaces to 50, you know, shelter, emergency uh, shelter spaces, right? Because they have the housing now. Uh, to do so. And, and I believe if we, we got to follow that model and we have leaders like yourself and organizations like Dixon Hall and others, we can do this. We saw this during the pandemic, right? We can mobilize pretty quick with the resources and political will to uh, make big strides. Don't you think? Yeah, I totally agree more. And like, I, like, I love the European model as well, where they just said enough is enough. We're going to build the houses and we're going to fix the problem. Um, and I, I, I totally agree. We have the ability to do that here. I think, you know, as we, as we plan effectively and really commit to the work, I think, I think that's the key, most important part is that we, you know, determine to do this, so we're going to do it. And that's what I'm seeing now. I'm seeing that in the municipality, you know, the province, the federal government has really committed to making this happen. And financially, you know, they're determined to do it. And it's, it's a great time to be working in my sector because now suddenly like we're empowered to be the facilitator like we're the tool that is making this happen we have the resources and suddenly a much stronger voice than we had before because we have that knowledge of the community same as Budor you have that knowledge of what the community needs are um, and you're able to drive like that force forward to really make it happen and so you know it's great it's been exciting for the last couple of years to see the shift on the dollars really flow into making this happen for him yeah it's ex exciting times we have to keep optimistic. Um, like I said, there's so many different, um, across even our country, different um, uh, examples of people who have done this and done this well um, uh, moving forward. And thanks to you and others that we've talked to people about, um, even in the future, you could take, if you look at all these, when people say like a city like Toronto, there's no space anymore. We're, you know, we're, we're stacked up at people talking about density and the vertical pieces, there was that article a couple of weeks back that said, hey, you just look at five different stores, Sobeys, the beer store, and a few other places, that's 67,000 units that could go vertical above them, right, with just that kind of real estate, or just locally, you talked about this, well, that's fire stations, or one or two stories, EMS, 
uh, libraries, schools, and the list goes on and now parking lots throughout the city. Why can't you build above them, right? All this airspace, um, the density's there, right? And the possibilities are endless. Yeah, it's amazing. Like in the Canada wide approach is, is fantastic too. I was, I was contacted by a group in Pictou, Nova Scotia. It's just, it's just a few people who, who decided they want to build affordable housing because they saw a need within their community. Yeah. Like how amazing is that? You know, it's really, you know, this kind of this approach where it's, it's no longer just not-for-profits working, it's everyone, private sector is contributing now. We're seeing, you know, developers, you know, saying, hey, you know, we've done well in the last 15 years, we want to do something to build affordable housing as well. And so it's really like this movement that, that wasn't there before. And you're right, the density is there, the opportunities are there. And, you know, we're looking, we're seeing modular housing is now becoming, you know, a big thing. We're seeing rooming houses, we're seeing high-rise development housing. Now the CL plan is aggressive and that's developing all the way across the city. So we're not just looking at the downtown core. Now we're looking citywide to see where there's opportunities to build and space available um, and really connecting, you know, laws to different parts of the, you know, the affordable housing, you know, specter into together to see what they can figure out. So it's, you know, like you said, it's a really positive time to be working. There's challenges for sure. It's, uh, you know, it's never going to be easy, but I think the attitude is right. And I think the momentum is there. For us yeah, to we've got to start somewhere. I know there's millions of houses needed, but hey, we're, we're going in the right direction. I think we have momentum. Uh, if people want to, you, you mentioned a group reaching out to you. If people wanted to reach out to you or find out more just about what's happening at Dixon Hall, where do they go? Uh, www.dixonhall.org is the place and for sure reach out support um touch base you know the more help very cool well, thank you so much for your time today thanks for what you're doing in the sector your leadership on behalf of blue door thanks for sharing your wisdom i know we learned uh, so much from you and we're pumped after that conversation and i'm sure listeners will be after this one thanks for joining us thanks uh, michael yeah social purpose real estate is going to play a huge part in solving this housing crisis moving forward um the partnerships that it has the community that it's building uh, the, the engagement between the private public sector and government, uh, there's a lot of optimism here, I think, and there's a lot of momentum. Uh, don't get weighed down by the headlines. You know, there's good people doing good things in our sector. We had one of them here today, and that's Eric, and uh, so glad to have him on. And, and I'm pumped coming out of this. I know I've got some more work to do. We will see you next time on the way home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.